You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Before we start today's episode, I have a message from the New Talent British International Youth Music Competition. The fourth New Talent British International Youth Music Competition is hosted by London-based Amy Rian Academy. The competition is going to take place virtually this year and they are calling for participants from all around the world. The competition is open to performers of strings, piano, woodwind and brass and that means euphonium applicants will also be accepted. Each participant will receive valuable feedback from the jury panel made up of esteemed faculty members of the Royal Academy of Music and the Harold School. On top of that, there are various prizes up for grabs with a total prize fund of £2,100, one-to-one masterclass with jury panel, and invitations to perform at the Royal Academy of Music. So if you play an instrument for between the age of 4 to 30, looking for new challenges and motivations for yourself or your students, head over to ayacademy.net to register and for more information. Link will be provided in the show notes. And now, back to the show. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 56 of You Play A What. I hope all of you are well. It has been a rather hectic couple of days, but I'm glad to be able to stay on schedule this week. I had such a great chat with my guest this week that the interview went on for two hours. I cannot be more grateful for his generosity and graciousness with his time and sharing over the entire duration of the interview. He is none other than Benjamin Yeo, who is of course no stranger to the Singapore wind band scene. Benji is an avid contributor to multiple facets of the local music and band scene, taking on roles as an educator, composer and conductor. In this first part of a two-part series, we spoke about how it is perfectly okay to call him Benji instead of Benjamin, his obsession with the Thai culture, challenges he faced over the last one year being a music teacher and the dean of the aesthetic department, the music elective program versus the IB music syllabus, how he never intended to join the school band, how he then fell in love with the art form that is concert band, how a particular brand of mineral water jump-started his composition career, and much more about his musical journey and thoughts regarding music education and band programs in Singapore. Enough from me now. Please enjoy this episode of You Play A What? with Benji. My guest today is Benjamin Yeo. Benjamin, or known to many of his peers very endearingly as Benji, is perhaps one of the, if not the most prolific Singaporean composer for the wind, concert, symphonic band, whatever you choose to call it. His works are often performed in Singapore and all over the world. Some of his original works include Future of Tomorrow, City of Dreams, Legend of the Ancient Hero, and Red Hill, subtitled as Symphonic Folklore for Wind Orchestra, and most recently, Kampong Love. I can go on, but we won't have enough time to talk about anything else. Welcome to the show, Benji. How are you doing today? Hello, Vincent. Thank you so much. I'm feeling good. Uh, thanks for having me on board here. Yeah. Yeah. No worries at all. Thank you so much for speaking to me on this uh, quite lovely Sunday morning. I've got my coffee and I'm ready to go. Uh, have you had yours? Um, yeah, I had a, a cup this morning, a couple of uh, minutes ago, actually. <laughs> good, good, good. Before we begin talking more about the, the heavier topics, I've always had this uh, very interesting kind of relationship when somebody or when I know somebody that is being introduced to me via like a, a shorter form of an, their name, 
like mm-hmm. a nickname sort of thing. So of course, every time I hear your name being mentioned, it's always Benji. It's always in in the in the shorter form. And perhaps the only time I hear your name in full is when MC is announcing, you know, the composer of this next piece is Benjamin Yeo, so on, right? And of course, being the, the peasant that I am, I've only uh, had the opportunity to sit down with you and speak to you in person mm-hmm. recently. In fact, actually, today is, I think, the, the fourth time we are speaking in person mm-hmm. uh, or via this sort of virtual medium. And I, I've always, so I've always struggled, right? So do I call you Benji? Do I call you Benjamin? I don't know. So And I don't want to be like, hey, Benji, what's up? And then you're like, oh, you know, I don't really know you. Like, you know, yeah, who are you? And, and stuff like that. So this is something, my personal struggle, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you are much more open-minded to yeah. the names that people call you. Uh, just something interesting to share with everybody. Uh, when I reached out to you to to ask you to come on this podcast, actually, I wrote to you from your website. Perhaps mm-hmm. there, are, there are much uh, simpler ways and more direct ways to get in touch with you. And I'm very, very just very glad that when you got back to me via text, right, I'm super grateful on that. And then you introduce yourself, hi, Vincent, uh, this is Benji. And I'm like, okay, right, now I, I know I can address you by Benji and it's simpler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If you went like, uh, hi, Vincent, I've uh, got your message. Uh, how, how can I help you? I'll be like, hmm, <laughs> okay, uh, is it Benjamin? Is it Benji? I don't, don't really know. Uh-huh. But... Yeah, so this is just a, a little bit of a, a, a struggle I face. Not just oh, for you, okay. but for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for example, I, I know a friend that's called Madeline. She introduces herself as Maddie. And then the first time I, I sat down and spoke to her, I still call her Madeline. She's like, don't call me Madeline. Call me Maddie is fine, <laughs> right? But yeah, one, I mean, I just don't like to, mm-hmm. to assume, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, great. I mean, uh, fourth time speaking to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, very, very happy and grateful that you are willing to to speak to me on this podcast. I want to start off with your interest in the Thai culture. Yeah. So this is, of course, something that I, I also found out in one of these interviews you did for when you were promoting Kampong Love, right? Yes, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did this all begin? I mean, it's one thing to say, like, I like this culture. I like the country. I like to go on holiday there. And this, this is a complete other thing to start learning the language and to go in-depth into the culture. So, um, yeah, how did this all, all begin for you? Well, um, it's, it's very strange because I've never thought of, like, uh, myself learning the language or visiting the country for that matter for many times a year. I, I didn't really have a very good experience of visiting Thailand the very first time mm-hmm. um, because I, I think I had some, uh, what do you call that, an episode. Okay, I wouldn't say episode, but an experience, you know, with, like, like the, the local... Uh, cab drivers, you know, not being very uh, honest and things yeah. like that. So, yeah, I, I, I didn't really like that, you know. Okay. But, Did they you take know, you to like jewelry, jewelry sh- uh, shops or no, something like that? No, they, they, they didn't. Uh, right. Just that I, I, I thought it, the impression is not that right. great, lah. You okay. Know? Yeah. Sure. So, from from then I thought, okay, I'm never going to visit the place again. But you know, the, after the second time I, I visited the place, I started to like it more. You know, um, mm. with my friends and all, I like the food. And then I started watching like uh, YouTube's, you know, Thai mm. shows. You know, some sometimes I I do see like ad, ad, advertisement you know, out of nowhere. Right. Uh, then then you know the, the, this thing about uh, Thai advertisement. I'm not too mm. sure whether you've watched any. They're always very creative. Yes. yes very absolutely. interesting. Yeah. Um, and sometimes very hilarious. Yeah. You know, so that got me started watching more of this kind of ad- advertisement. And then after that, I, I started watching Thai shows, you know, um, those kind of like long drama series. I, I, I cannot really remember the names. Mm. But, you know, it, it comes a point in time where I, I do not really want to wait for the subtitles anymore. You know, because sometimes <laughs> they will just put it up there for a while without a subs. Then after that, you're going to wait like a week later before they start to bring in the subtitles. Then I was like, right. okay, um, maybe okay. I should start learning, you know, to figure out the, the language. Okay. You know? Right. So um, that's how that's how I I got started like, and and I really like the um, the, the tonal inflections at times. Um, I mean, it's a very sound thing. I, I just like the way mm. they speak. They sounded very uh, polite in in general. You know yeah. the impression. So uh, that's how I, I I really got started in in learning Thai, and that's how I really also start to search for like uh, local Thai uh, teachers. You know, I started mm. to. To look at community centers, you know, like one of those uh, people who tries to learn things from community centers, right? <laughs> Cooking and all that. So I started yeah, yeah. To, to learn about the Thai um, language, uh, as in the what would they offer and stuff like that. But before that, you know, I I did learn uh, quite a bit uh, from my books, from the books, from even from podcasts. Okay. You know, where they actually teach you 
uh, Thai language. So I will listen to it when, when I go for a jog, you know, just to pick up some interesting words, download some apps to, mm. to, to basically learn basic sentence so that I can sort of like use them in, mm. in Thailand. And, and it's actually very interesting because the, the Thai people, they, when, when you speak to them in Thai and, and when they know that you're actually not local, um, mm. they'll be a bit surprised. Yeah. Uh, and, and you never know, they may just give you a little bit uh, more food here and there, you know, yes, yes. <laughs> some yeah. discounts here and Friendlier there. treatment. A very, a very friendly treatment. Yeah. yeah. So that is actually a, a very nice experience. So yeah, I've been learning Thai for about like two and a half years already, I think. And I'm still learning Thai right now. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what really changed for you between the, the first and second time when you visited the country that gave you this better impression? Hmm. Um, okay, I, I think the the company matters as well. Okay, because the first time I think I went was with um my my my, my family. And then okay. you know, because I, I had a like uh some some itinerary, the kind of thing that I need to follow, like we need we gotta to go to this place, gotta to go to that place. Mm. And were um, you the one that's planning everything? No, not really. So I was clueless like you not know, during that time. So okay. um my my family, you know, we, we that, that was the first time actually, you know, um for us in, in Thailand as well. Mm. So my brother was like trying to figure things out as well along the way, you know, dependent on caps. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that experience, everything was so new, um, uh, was a little bit, um, and it wasn't very nice, at least mm. for me, because we're okay. like, and the language is just not, you know, you can't speak their language. So it's yeah. like, it's very difficult to communicate, you know. Yes. But, but after that, when I went uh, to Thailand the second time, it was with a group of friends um, and they, they already know where to go, you know. They, they know uh, the place there. So, so it's, okay. it's a slightly better experience because you have someone who knows to, to bring you around. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that experience was uh, slightly better as compared to the first time. Right. And, and then, of course, when I started picking up uh, Thai language along the way, I started to go Thailand more often about probably about four to five times a year. You know, people call me crazy, but because I, I just love it so much. And I believe when you go there, you get to practice your language. You yeah, know, absolutely. That's, that's important. No, yeah. nobody will speak to you in Thai in Singapore. They'll be like <laughs> staring at you. Yeah, right? even the yeah. Thai people might not want to speak to you in Thai simply yeah. because of their their uh, social <laughs> structure, right? Yeah. yeah, and and it's a bit awkward. I I feel like if you have a Thai friend, um, mm. like you know, I I I go to America for for conferences once in a while, and then there are like Thai people there. Then I'll be mm. like, okay, should I be speaking to you in Thai? Like. If I attempt to speak to you in Thai, just be more friendly, right? you know, the right. kind of thing. Or do I yeah. speak to you in English? And then it would be very awkward if I speak to you in Thai and then you reply in English. You know, that yes, kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, so uh, there's uh, always uh, this little struggle here and there. Lah. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, a, a little bit like whether to call you Benjamin or Benji, right, for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, but <laughs> Benji works. Actually, yeah. um, very seldom I hear people call me Benjamin. They are usually from, um, I don't know, from a very professional point of view. Like, you know, you, you contact uh, a composer and then they call yes, you Benjamin. Yes. Yeah. Um. But usually people just call me Benji. My my right. family calls me Benji. Uh, I've been called Benji ah. since very young. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So Benji is fine. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, traveling to Thailand on such a um, <laughs> so regularly, right? In a yeah. in a normal situation, of course, we know the the famous spots that we Singaporeans always go to: Bangkok, Phuket maybe Chiang Mai, maybe PP mm. Island, right? Are there any other spots out of this sort of more mainstream places that you have found that you don't mind sharing with us? You don't want to keep, I, I understand if you want to keep it a secret because maybe it's not very touristy <laughs> and it's nice and quiet and beautiful and, and, and things like that. So are there any other places that you particularly enjoy out of this main uh, sort of cities? Mm. Okay, so I typically visit Bangkok. It, it's very city-like. I mean, so people who are like, you know, they, they enjoy the food, they enjoy the shopping, then Bangkok definitely is the place to go. I've been to some other less, okay, I wouldn't say less popular. Actually, they're quite popular, just that it's less city-like. Mm. Um, of course, I visited uh, Chiang Mai. Uh, Chiang Mai is actually yeah. very nice. It's in uh, the, the northern part of Thailand. It's actually very cooling. You know, if you choose to go there in like a, a November, December, it's just very nice weather. Mm. Um, I particularly like this place called uh, Khao Kok. I'm not too sure whether you've heard of it, Khao Kok. Um, nope. It's about <laughs> a six-hour ride from Bangkok. So I went there with my parents a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, so I, I know of this place because I, I look at the internet and you know the, those beautiful pictures, those mountainous areas. In fact, I, I have that picture in my desktop right now. Nice. Um, you, you, you really get to see the sunset. 
sunrise uh, over hilly mountains. Um, and I stayed in uh, a place where I can just view the stars, you know, like my parents were telling me they've never seen the stars so close before. Mm. And it's, it's at night, it's so cold, you get to really see, that, because there are, there are no city lights, you see. So yep. it's just so beautiful. You know, um, the only thing that they dread about was the traveling time, you know, but if let's say you have a chance to visit uh, Khao Khor, I think um, it'd be good, you know. Mm. Um, I've been to Phuket. Many people like Phuket. Um, I don't really like it there because it's just too touristy for me and it's very expensive. I, mm. So Thailand being like very cheap and all that is really not true. I always remember how <laughs> I had to spend a fixed rate of 40 Sing dollars just to get from um, the airport in Phuket to the hotel, you know, mm. it's a $40 fixed rate. So $40 right. in Singapore, you can travel like to Changi Airport, I think to and fro. To twice maybe. Thing. Yeah. yeah, to twice <laughs> maybe. So yeah. I really don't think it's that uh, cheap, lah, you know. Okay. Uh, but my, my favorite place is actually still Bangkok because I, I like the food there and, and the shopping. So yeah, mm. I'll still go back there. Mm. Right. Okay. Thai food is perhaps one of the, the best cuisine yeah, in, in the world. Right. So I, I'm sure, I don't know, you pretty, I guess you agree. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So during this time where we can't actually travel to Thailand to have authentic Thai food, how do you fix your Thai cravings? And are, are there, of course, if you want to keep it a secret, it's absolutely fine. But are there any spots that you usually go to mm. for, uh, for a good, good time or good experience? Okay. So um, I'm not like promoting any restaurants here. Yeah. Um, neither uh, am I. Yeah, okay. so, yeah. <laughs> so I can just share very, um, right. yeah, very freely with everybody. So there's yeah. this place, um, actually there are two places which I usually go. Mm. Um, one place is called Nana. Okay. Uh, so Nana has, uh, they have this original brunch in, I think, Golden Mile. Uh, so when I first started uh, Nana, I, I, I had it uh, in Amokyo. It's like quite near my neighborhood kind of thing. So mm. I think they had like four branches in Singapore, Nana. So they had one in Amokyo, they had one in West Coast, one in Far East, one in Golden Mile. Um, <laughs> I'm not too sure why, but they, they, they're like shutting down one by one, which is very strange. Okay. So because Amokyo is like near, nearer to my, to my home, right? So usually I'll go to Nana every, probably once or, yeah, once every every week or once every two weeks, then I'll bring my parents there. Okay. Um, but then it, it, it closed down for some reason. Um, then I started to hop around the various nanas in Singapore. <laughs> so right now, okay. I think the, the surviving ones, probably at Far East. Mm, uh, okay. West Coast, I think still there. It's near anywhere. So if you are, you know, living near there, you can just visit the, the stretch of uh, food places mm. uh, just behind NUS. Um, yeah, so nana has got very good Thai food. Uh, the other one right now, um, which I frequent most, is called uh, Naman. Naman is at uh, Upper Thompson Road. Um, if you if you have been to, you know, mm. uh, the Prata places, the ice cream yeah. places, it's it's really yes. that stretch, right? Yeah. Um, and just across across the road. Mm. Um, I was just there the yesterday. Actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Was it Naman? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, okay. But yeah. <laughs> so I'm yeah. just learning about this place now. Yes. Okay. So you you, you need to visit uh, that right. place. Um. Okay. Generally, I think if the cook, um, they are Thai. Uh, generally, it, it cannot be that bad, lah. You know, okay. that's high. So usually I will check out uh the, the kitchen, I will check out the um the the people who serves you the food, you know. Yeah. Um so sneak around start, the back a little bit, yeah, people in so the kitchen. If you hear them speaking yeah. Thai, then generally mm. I think the, the food cannot be that bad. Okay. Generally. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. This past one year has been, of course, uh, really kind of tricky and difficult mm. for the the work that we do. And of course, you you had can I say call that a promotion, and uh, definitely your your scope and your your position in your work changed in this mm. last one year, and of course now you are the, the dean of the aesthetics department. It is challenging, isn't it? Because you are in this new position, you have to uh, definitely when you took on this position, you have some plans uh, mm. that you would like to execute. Then comes COVID coming in like a storm. And so much of the aesthetics revolve around performances, so much mm -hmm. of performances revolving around a gathering of audiences, and so much of gathering is not allowed at the moment. Mm -hmm. So uh, what are some of the, the challenges that, uh, you know, perhaps we have, we have faced in terms of your work? Indeed, I think for the past one year or so, actually, I've been the dean of the aesthetics department in my school for about, yeah, one plus year. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, I was already helping my dean then, so I was the deputy dean. Um, many things have changed. It's not just COVID. In fact, uh, with regards to like um, the syllabus, you know, the O-level music syllabus has changed. The IBDP music syllabus has changed completely. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really in you know in, in a time where I'm I'm working together with my department to figure things out. You know, um, how how do you teach the new syllabus, especially for the IB? So that that took us uh, quite a while, and we're still experimenting together with the students because nothing, nothing is, is really set and, and stable right now. Even mm. and I can say for the rest of the IB world as well, you know, uh, all all schools uh, teaching IB music, for example, they are still struggling um, to figure what 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 is the uh, good approach to teaching. Uh, you know, uh, teaching and learning, and what is a good approach for assessment and things like that. You know, so mm. that itself is has already taken up quite. Uh, quite a long time for us. Of course, COVID didn't really help. Uh, in fact, COVID has affected uh, assessments, not just performing arts. You know, they have removed certain components in the assessment um, and, and we've got to adjust. So before we actually mm. experienced the new, I mean, the, the real IB new syllabus, right? We are already experiencing the modified version of the new syllabus. So it's a bit <laughs> strange, okay. you know? So, um, so that's what uh, we have been doing so far. I mean, for performing arts, because I'm also the coordinator for all the performing arts and, and for my school, we have like a, in total about seven main performing arts group. Mm. Um, and it's very tough for us uh, during this period. And I don't just say for, for my school, but I believe um, bands in general or performing arts in general in, in Singapore, many instructors will face similar things. Mm. Um, so we struggle with all the... Um, uh, last-minute adjustment, you know, of the uh, safe management measures, or they call SMM. You yeah. know, like uh, even recently, right, they, they introduced one and then two, three days later, they introduced another mm. one. So we just <laughs> got to adjust, you know. And, and yes. last year was particularly very challenging, I believe, for, for a lot of uh, instructors. Um, mm. What is the norm? The face-to-face needs to go online. And of course, you know, with Zoom and whichever platforms, it's never the same. Yeah, you know, um, even till today, after one year of experience on Zoom, you you still cannot get everybody on board, and it it doesn't help if let's say your your band program is a beginning band program, mm. you know, to 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 start with, you you're already struggling with you know um uh, the level of performance, the level of uh beginners in you know in a band, and then after that you got to go online, and then you got to think of alternatives. You don't really have that senior junior interaction. Uh, mm. the, the teaching and even tutors, they have a lot of issues. I, I don't think any tutors will like uh, doing Zoom, you know, full-time, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's never the same. And even when we hear the, the sound that is coming from Zoom, um, it's never the same. So we cannot say that, you know, you have a fantastic tone or, or you need, you know, you need to adjust your 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 tone or something like that because mm. you, you never know, right? Maybe the, the student was already doing his best and it, it was already very nice, you know, a very good tone, mm. just that Zoom... You know, sort of like um, yeah, compresses bring, the sound, compresses the sound, yeah. and so you'll be like, yeah. you know, then the student will be like, I, I've already tried my very best, you know. Then why are you still asking me to do this? Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. So that that is the the main challenge. But having said that, I I do think that um, this period of COVID actually forces us really to go into uh, methods or realms that we have never been before. You know, mm. um, Zoom is one thing. Nobody talks about Zoom, right? Yeah. I mean, we have FaceTime, we have all this, but Zoom allows like you no know, sharing of uh screen you know uh, it, i mean it allows more learning to take place I, I would think so yeah um yeah so and then we we have uh exploration of other programs we we have things like uh, band lab we have things like um what else do we have some you know the daws recording programs you know the virtual performances programs so yes. these are things that we don't really experience in a typical uh, band program right mm. so at least now i would say that for students they, they learn how to do uh, more virtual stuff themselves they learn how to do proper recording so we get to teach new skills so i i wouldn't say that you know we have sacrificed a lot right mm. um but I, I do feel that um we can only do so much in in this period of time of, of yes. COVID, like you know for online learning but you know we still want to go to that um face-to-face because i think that that's all that's that's where we all all started Right. Mm. Um, the reason why we love band or love our instruments so much because we enjoy not just per- performing on the instrument or learning the instrument, but we enjoy um, the the company, you know, mm. and um, the the kind of band culture uh, that we we experience in our school, and and that is why it you know it kept our passion going, you know, uh, in band. I would say in in band experience, not just the performance experience, 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, that's that's one of the main reasons why I'm still involved, very much involved in, in band, you know, mm. uh, till today. Although I'm not a full time uh, band instructor, you know, I, I still mm. go back to to bands to to teach, to to advise, you know, or to to do what I can to help the the students. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. I think. Yeah. Throughout this last one year, for sure, we we have faced some very interesting challenges. Right, mm. the how we communicate with students uh, online, how sometimes maybe students uh, we, we can't see the students because of whatever circumstances they can't turn on their camera and things like that, and to mm. teach purely based on uh, it's a bit like a year training for you, right? So mm. whether or not like ah uh, you played the extra flat there or you <laughs> we can't tell by mm. the fingering, but we have to like completely rely on our ears. Yeah, and sometimes like like you said, giving a uh, proper critique is is really challenging simply because of the resources. Yeah, at the same time, we can't demand that everyone uh, invest on a $80 microphone. Everyone needs to have a particular internet speed and, and things like that. We, we can't control that that side of things. So uh, all these things plays a part to how smooth the lesson is and how much a student can get out of the lesson and how much or how accurately we can critique their playing. Yeah. But, you know, and perhaps uh, we, are, we are getting there maybe and if this remains to be uh, a popular mode of teaching or learning, and then maybe very soon mm. students will see it as a, something that is perhaps uh, quite important in their wind band journey and development to invest in this sort of like equipments. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah. but, but, but I do think that this thing will stay, you know, um, mm. which uh, I, I think because with HBL, and, and HBL is definitely going to stay, you know, in, in mm. all school, um, COVID or not. So I think because we have experienced it, we have experienced also the, the convenience of it. So even if COVID is over, there will definitely be some points in the, in the school calendar where the students will need to go on HBL mm. and uh, ECCA as well. You know, So I think it's always uh, good as part of their sort of learning package for students to get a proper mic, a proper video. And, and I think you're right because um, there, there, there were many times where I, I would say for every single ECCA sessions that I've set in, there will definitely be one or two somehow with technical issues, video problems, asking to switch on the video and they'll be like, oh, but my video is not working. <laughs> I'll be like, yes. okay, it, you know, you really sounded like this the first time you're having ECCA, you know, go and do something about it then, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah so this is something that I, I really hope, you know, all students um, can, can really invest in. It, it should be part of like, you know, that textbook, that kind of thing. Mm. It's part of the materials that's needed. Yeah. You know, like you, you cannot you cannot survive in band without a tuner. So you cannot survive with ECCA without a proper mic and, and video. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And actually sometimes I, I recently found out that the device also matters because if you are using like a, a tablet to do your uh, ECCA sessions, then there's less control in your uh, audio settings. Mm. And actually uh, I have students using iPads and uh, the noise cancelling and the the when they start playing a long tone, after two seconds the, the sound just stops. They're yeah. still playing, but they just have this auto like noise cancelling or background mm. noise cancelling thing. So that can be a bit frustrating and they can't turn it off on, on the iPad, I think. Mm. Yeah. So that that is also an, an interesting uh, thing, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know, maybe 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 beyond Zoom or I don't know that there I, I think it'd be good to have um a platform where mm. it is really suited for this kind of online music learning. Right, exactly. You know, that, that would be nice. Yeah. So if there are any like very creative people out there, you know, I think that this would be a good investment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So something yeah. that focuses on like high fidelity audio sessions yeah. and things like that would be would be absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cool. So uh, if you don't mind, could you just share with me a little bit about the difference between the you mentioned the IB music program versus like maybe the MEP music program. Is there a difference there in terms of uh, how, how music is being taught to these students? Okay, so, um, all right. So for MEP, um, MEP is actually a program that that sort of, okay, I want to use the word facilitates, but it sounds a bit strange. Um, okay, because at the end of the day, students, they sit for the uh, O-level, the music mm. O-level. So the MEP program is, is a program that helps students to to approach the O-level music at the end of that four years, you know, okay. so it is not really a subject. Mm. Um, 
of course, uh, in, in MEP, they have, I mean, besides teaching and learning in the classroom, um, the reason why it's called the MEP also because they have very uh, special programs for this group of students. They start learning music uh, from set one, mm. right? Um, so, and, and they have like learning journeys, we have programs uh, or, or, or what do you call that, workshops, you know, along the way uh, as part of the program to help students develop not just as uh, a, a music students, you know, answering examination question, but really to let them experience how it's like to become a, a, a practitioner. How do you listen to music uh, more attentively or how do you listen to music uh, like a musician, you know? Mm. Um, you know, I always tell my students, you, you shouldn't be listening to music, you know, when you step into a shopping mall and then you have this thing playing in the background. It, it shouldn't just be a music that serves as a, a background kind of thing, you know? Mm. You know, you listen up for the details, like what is so interesting about this this song? Why yeah. did the mall choose this kind of music in this particular setting? You know, a lot of questions, right? Mm. They need to ask themselves. Yeah. So, of course, for MEP, it, it's it's geared toward this written paper and they, they need to do performance as well. Now, mm. I would say IB music is very special, especially for this new syllabus. You know, I mean, in the old syllabus, they, need, they will need to sit for a written uh, paper. It's an open perception written paper, I would say. Um, mm. So... You, um, you, you can prep them all you can in, in the two years of study. But right. really, at the end of the day, what comes out in the written examination may not be something that they have learned. Like, for example, they, they don't have a specific like sort of syllabus. Mm. You know, um, whereas for, for O-level music, they, they have to learn, you know, it, it's quite straightforward. Like, they'll tell you, okay, for Western classical music, these are the genres that, that you will need to focus on. Uh, for, for Asian music, you know, these are the various cultures you need to focus on. There. And they will even tell you, you know, um, these, these are the topics that may not be tested because of COVID, for example. Mm, you know, so okay. they are quite straightforward with that. So there is, in a way, a fixed uh, syllabus. But mm. in... In IB music, there is really no syllabus. So what I'm saying that you can teach them all the cultures you want for the two years. Okay. But if let's say in the written examination, in the perception examination for the old syllabus, if they hear something that is totally unfamiliar, mm. you know, um, they would then have to use their skills, their listening skills okay. right, to figure right. things out. So I think that that is the beauty of IB. You mm. know, um, it, it really forces the students to think on their feet, right, with uh, the experiences they have uh, gathered for you know, throughout that two years, mm. right? So um, that, that is really nice. Um, so in, in the new syllabus, they have removed that written component. So I think they have inbuilt the skill sets in, in the new ways of uh, assessment. So um, currently, they have to go through processes of exploring music. They have to go through processes of, processes of experimenting music and presenting music. So if you talk to any IB music teachers, these are keywords, exploring, experimenting, presenting. Right. And then there's this very interesting component called the uh, contemporary music makeup is where they become very hands-on mm. with a project. So they, they will be tasked to, to be the project director. You know? So as a project director, you can also compose music for this event. You know, for example, mm. if I were to collaborate with my dance group in school, you know, okay. do you write music for them? Right, uh, you probably got to work with the student, uh, student choreographers. How mm. a certain action will will you know depict certain part of the music? Um, mm. You've got to do things like uh, budgeting, booking of halls. You know this wow. this kind of thing, this kind okay. of very practical stuff. Yeah, uh, which I think it's it's very relevant and, and it makes sense. You know, mm. it's not just sitting in class and, and and doing written exam work. I mean, these oh, are yeah. you probably will not use that much, right? So yeah. I, I, I think one thing about the IB curriculum in general, not just for music, but the overall program, mm. you know, it, it really, really prepares the student for the future, not just for university. So whenever okay. parents come to me and ask, you know, what's the difference between A-level and IB music? You know, both, they, they have um, the, the good things to talk about. Mm. But um, personally, and I'm speaking from my personal point of view, I, I very much like the IB curriculum because of the practicality, mm. um, you know, um, and, and how it, it can really help the students in the future. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it sounds amazing, like the, the way they change that written paper into something, like you said, it's more practical, it's more hands-on, and then it's, you know, yeah. like sort of living through it or practicing it. Mm -hmm. You know, way to take the fun out of music if you say at the end of the day, you're going to sit here and write paper, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I think I can say this for, for most uh, music students, especially conservatory students who are studying uh, a, a performance major. That is one side of uh, our work that we would always be the least interested in. 
Uh, we, mm. we know the importance of it for sure. But yeah, when it comes down to writing a paper, uh, you know, would you rather spend four hours in a practice room or four hours in front of the computer typing away? I think uh, at least for me, it's the, the, yeah. <laughs> the decision is quite easy uh, mm-hmm. to, to make, right? Yeah. Cool. And now let's talk a little bit about your, your career development and your musical journey. So bring us back to how you got acquainted with music and how things sort of grew from there to your current position now. Wow. Okay. So um, I think I've got a lot of people to, to be thankful for, actually. I, I think uh, my first ever encounter was definitely in primary school. Um, mm. Um, I mean, my, my primary my primary school is like no longer ex- existing already, lah. You know, it's like closed down and all that. Um, so I was I was from Chongshan Primary School, and uh, I think if you have lived long enough in in the Angmokyo area, you know that's uh, where I started um, my music. Okay. So I, I had like classroom music lessons, like you know how how our current students are having their classroom music lessons. They learn, and 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 mm. I learned about the recorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, many students, many teachers, they may not appreciate the recorder, but actually the recorder is a very beautiful instrument if taught well. Right. And if it's not used as like, you know, uh, weapons of a mass destruction in the classroom, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, I was a very, okay, I must say I was a very diligent student because of my interest. You know, I, I love to learn the recorder. And then okay. my teacher will teach me the fingering. They will have like uh, projects, like music projects or, or or group performances, assessment, you know, that I'll be very excited to, to to just play music with my duet partner, for example, to play a recorded duet in front of the mm-hmm. class, you know. So that got me started, actually, uh, with performing on an instrument. So I would say that's my, probably my first wind instrument, right. you know. Um, and, of course, my, my brother was also a musician then. Um, he was actually in the band, in the school band, in the primary mm-hmm. school band. You know, okay. Um, he plays the euphonium just like yourself. Hey. Yes. Right. Okay. So okay. um, yeah. I so my my brother went to the same primary school as as, as I as I did. Um, mm. and because the teacher there knows that you know my brother was a my elder brother was a euphonium player, and she was spending like half half my time in primary school trying to ask trying to persuade me to join the band. So I was in the primary school band actually. Okay. So to, to me, the impression of band then was, oh, super long practice. I'm going to be super tired. <laughs> like how a typical band students would think, right? And or that's very parents, true. Yeah. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was very young and I thought, you know, I, I just want to play the recorder. I, I, I do not really want to be involved in this kind of like long hours, you know. Yeah. So I, I decided to just, okay, let, let, let me join the uh, AVA club or, or library club or science club. You know, that other, you know, I, I learned right. stuff there. Okay. But I, yeah. I, I'm really not sure, you know, if, if, I, if I joined the, primary school band how how my life would, would change even more mm. um but anyway so my, my brother was a euphonium player he he listens to music at home every day he he introduced me to like musical so i, I heard my first musical track uh les mis okay right so he he bought the cd um okay that, that was after his uh you know i i guess post-secondary school or during his secondary school days mm. yeah perhaps his secondary school days you know right um because i think the band was also playing les mis and and he actually went to buy uh, an album, you mm. know, the Lemis album. So I started to listen to Lemis and I, I got very interested. And I was like, oh, this is really beautiful. And then my brother will start to describe, will start describing the story to me about Lemis and right. then with the background playing behind, like, you know, so dramatic, right? Yeah. The, the music, <laughs> and then he was explaining to me yeah. the story. So that, that got me quite interested like, in music, I must say. So um, he's definitely quite uh, an, an, an important figure in, in my music uh, development. Mm. Um, so that's how I got started with uh, music. Then after that, in secondary school, I joined the band. Uh, many people do not know that I was actually from Dei, Dei Secondary mm. School, uh, a military band, a marching band. Yeah. Um, so so I would say I'm, I'm quite fortunate, lah, you know, uh, having to experience quite a number of settings in the band scene. Mm. So I, I do know about marching bands. I do know how it works. I do know the kind of music that would be suitable and, and um, talk talk about not wanting to do long hours, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, you jump into the deep end. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I must confess that uh the band was not my first choice. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So yeah. So I I still remember to to this day. Um, band was actually I think my third choice. I think we we had to put in you know during our CCS selection like I think up to five or six choices. Yes. You yeah. know. All right. And band was my third. 
and guess what my first choices were my, my first two choices were probably somewhere in the air conditioned room right? <laughs> yeah you're right probably <laughs> right. yes so yeah. uh, I, I think I had like library or something like that lah, you know okay yeah so um, well I, I got into band and and I guess because you know during the selection they do need a lot of people as you know for for display bands mm. right so I still remember like um, the, the band size then then was like 100 over people you know mm. and a hundred of us squeezing in one small little music room which is definitely not COVID friendly. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, Spits flying everywhere and all this everywhere. kind of stuff. Right? <laughs> and, and, and you cannot yeah. imagine, actually, uh, it was so loud. Um, mm. Because we, we do our music rehearsal in the band room once in a while, especially when it's raining and stuff like this. So you can just imagine the mm. whole lot of us, right? Just squeezing into this band room. And, yeah. and when I say my band room previously was really like a, just slightly bigger than a typical classroom. Okay just slightly bigger, mm. low ceiling, and you just imagine the, the display band playing music in there. Yeah, everyone the going full building, throttle, right? Yeah. You can feel that, you know, the, the whole building would just shake together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it wasn't very nice to my ears, but, you know, it's, it's um, I would say it's a good experience. And and my band experience in, in Dei actually helped me a lot. I, I learned a lot, uh, you know, um, in, in Dei band. Um, I, I had my ups and downs in there. Um, but I learned a lot of useful things, uh, marching. Um, mm. I learned how to be very disciplined. I learned how to uh, take hardships. I learned how to endure. Um, I, I, like, I actually like the culture there. Actually, I, I feel that because I, I don't think I'm a very um, extroverted, I would say. I don't think I'm very extroverted then. I was actually quite shy. Right. <laughs> like it or not. Okay, I'm introverted right. now. Okay, I shouldn't, I shouldn't use the word shy, yeah. right? So, yeah. Yeah, so I, I got sort of very influenced by my seniors. Um, they were usually very open, very friendly. Mm. Um, and I was just very, like, um, surprised, like, how the band can just uh, embarrass, okay, embarrass in a good way, right, mm. themselves in front of uh, uh, their peers. Like, they don't mind dancing in front of everybody. You know, to, to ask, like, oh, I, I shouldn't dance, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, be very embarrassed yeah. after that. Yeah, okay. But they, they don't. So, so Get they judged sing. and things, right? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and they dance. Um without any any fear of sort, you know, mm. and and I just joined in with them, like, you know, I just dance with them and people just laugh and be happy. And and that's when I would say I I, I sort of like opened up my character a little bit then. Mm. You know, um the culture was great. Um mm. and, and I think this is something that that is missing uh in, in today's uh band scene, unfortunately. Yeah. Um because we keep talking about uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, this is again from my personal point of view. Sometimes when we say that students are very sheltered because, um, uh, I mean, perhaps parents, right? Mm. Um, I mean, previously, I think our parents weren't as educated. Uh, they, they wouldn't bother that much. They yeah. really um, allow the band program or allow the school to train the students. You know, mm. um, in a way, they, they place a certain level of trust yeah. Right. Mm. I'm not saying that parents nowadays they don't place trust. I'm not saying that. You know, it's mm. just a, a different mentality. Um, and now we have parents who are more educated. They want to care more about what's happening in the school, which is a good thing. Mm. But I, I think sometimes um they they care too much to a point where they they try to in their various ways, uh, they may try in their various ways to to control the program, I would mm. say, you yeah. know. Um, and that isn't something very healthy. And and school being school, because they're also one of our uh, stakeholders, you know, mm. uh, we try to explain to them or sometimes we try to come to a compromise, mm. you know, uh, which I, I find it is, is already a problem. You know, compromising is not an issue. You know, it's a good thing to do, right, in life, compromising. But, you know, sometimes if, let's say, from the point of educator, uh, as an educator, we, we see some values in this and, and if, let's say, the parents doesn't see the value in this and then we have to compromise, I mean, at the end of the day, we are really putting all this at uh, the expense of the student's education. Yeah. You know, uh, learning about life skill, learning about how, how to endure through hardships. Mm. The intangibles, right? The intangible, yeah. yeah. Because once you you allow the students to sort of like, you know, uh, avoid this kind of hardships, they, they will think that it's a norm. And mm. and I do worry for them in the future, you know, um, because I, I think the society is not going to be uh, very nice to them if you, if you don't... Um, 
mm. uh, experience how to deal with it, right? Um, yeah. That's building resilience, helps. right? At, at that resilience. I think that, yeah, the, yeah. The, the resilience, the tenacity, mm. um, I think is so important. And I think that is the beauty of actually CCA in the first place. I think the reasons why uh, CCAs um, were introduced is to really uh, build this kind of uh, skills that is uh, that they are, they are not able to learn in a typical classroom. Mm. Right, and if you try to soften them, then it defeats the point of having a CCA. It's not mm. about uh, I just want my child to try uh, many things. You know that that's a very common um, uh, example that, mm. that they will they will say, oh, like you know, uh, why 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 is your child not joining the band in yeah. in secondary school since your your child has experienced the the band, right? I mean, if your child mm. is playing this instrument, you know, just carry on, you know. Yeah. And then of course the reason will be, oh, um, right, you, you want a buffet, right? You want yeah. to. Try something like, else. Let's try something go else. sports or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I do agree with that to, to a certain extent. But sometimes if, let's say, the child is actually very talented and actually if if you let him or her to continue in, in the band, you know, you, you never know um, how well he can actually do, right? Uh, it's always nice to to be focusing on something and be good in it than to have a buffet of uh, some things, right? Mm. Or a buffet of many things mm. and be be like bits and pieces here and there. You know, if you know what I'm talking about. It's, you are yeah. neither here nor there. If I mm. ask you, what, what is your strength? I have no idea because, you know, I, I just touch and go, right? And and you only have four years in secondary school. You only have two years in JC, you know, for example. How much can you go in depth, mm. right? I mean, if you learn the euphonium in primary school, can you imagine if you keep playing, you know, you throughout uh, secondary school and JC, by the end of your, your, I mean, 10 to 12 years of your school life, you know, mm. Um, you, you'll be a very, very good euphonium player, I would say, right? So, mm. and at least it's something that you can be proud of to say that, you know, I'm a euphonium player and, and I'm good in it, right? So, yeah, I, I think it's something that's lacking. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I, I think you, you brought up some really, really good points. And I think going back to uh, what you mentioned about opening up your character, you know, mm. not being afraid to... Um, dance, not being afraid to do things that would, well, obviously out of your comfort zone. I think there's this really profound impact when you find a group of people or in particular or a particular activity that you can really identify with, mm-hmm. right? And that would you would feel like a, as a as a collective, you know, we can we can do anything. Yeah. Um, in, in a way, you you get really comfortable under your own yeah. skin, right? It kind of don't matter. Right, even if you think that we are band geeks, so what? Yeah. You know, I've got my people behind me. Yeah, right? that's right. That's that's all that matters. And mm-hmm. you you've got this. You know, you you know that there's a group behind. Rather than if you're the only one that's super interested in band, and maybe in if your band culture is that everyone is perhaps not very keen, then mm-hmm. of course you feel a little bit out of place. But I think that having this sort of like camaraderie among yeah. the band and this uh, whatever that's developed, it's what made us enjoy what may us like and, and fall in love with this particular activity or this art form right and then yeah. to to uh, to the part that you mentioned about um, parents getting uh, involved in band programs and things like that I think in, in my days I don't even dare to come back home and complain to my parents that today was a particularly tough day yeah because usually what I'll get is that oh so what do you do wrong? You mm. must have done something wrong. And at the end of the day, when, when they ask me questions like that and then reflect back, it's just, yeah, right? Because I turned mm. up late. So I was, I had to do some punishment. I mean, mm. what, did I deserve it? Yes, sort of. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's this sort of like, um, slightly different uh, kind of, um, you could say upbringing or, or circumstances, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ac- ac- across this this um this period of time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think mm. all all parents uh, should should really listen to this as well. <laughs> I, I think, I I think it, it is very important lah. You know, yeah. and and um that, that was I mean that was in secondary school. I mean in mm. even in, I think at JC level, parents they they do still interfere as well. Mm. You know, and I mean having said all this, I mean um the in in JC. Mm. Um, that was also when I, I really experienced uh, concert music in a concert setting. Mm. Um, that is why I say, you know, for, I'm, I'm really quite lucky. Lah. You know, I was in a, uh, uh, I would say quite well-known, right? Uh, marching mm. band in, in secondary school. And then I went to JC. I was in uh, St. Andrews, JC. Mm. Um, in fact, I joined St. Andrews because of the band program. 
uh, again, very influenced by my brother because my brother was from St. Andrew's Secondary and then okay. went on to St. Andrew's JC. So, right. you know, he, he got me in, in a way, like, you know, to, I mean, uh, in the JC. Mm. Uh, as a, at the time, I think, um, I, I would say that my musical performance, my personal musical performance are picked during my JC period. You know, mm. I, I played the cornet. Um, mm. So, and, and you know, for St. Andrews, we, we use cornets, we don't use trumpets. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love the sound. Okay. Mm. So anyway, um, and actually, I, I learned a lot more. I would say that the my peak or that, uh, what do you say, the, the learning, my, my learning curve in a way was the steepest uh, in JC. Um, mm. I, I've learned the most from uh, my band instructor, band conductor, who has got a huge influence as well in, in my life mm. today. And in the local uh, band scene, actually. Yeah. yeah. In the lo- yes, right. in, in the local band scene. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I get to do a lot of things uh, in, in the band. You know, I, I was in a committee and one thing that I really remember most in, in the JC band was I get to plan uh, a concert by ourselves. You know, it's, it's how amazing, I, you know, thinking back, usually when we have a concert, you know, you, you get everybody involved, the teacher, the, the conductor, you know, the band. But I, I still remember, you know, um, my committee planned a concert in two weeks. Nice. Planned a concert in two weeks without uh, my conductor, Okay. involved at all right so you guys yeah. chose a repertoire play what we, you like we chose a repertoire things. yeah and and um during then i, I was a student conductor you know mm. um and i have a very strong team of uh committee members so we just decided to put up a, a mini concert in our school hall mm. within that very short span of time and you know we go through processes like organizing choosing the repertoire rehearsing uh for the music and that was really i, I to me was quite life-changing you know, mm. um, and, and we got to work on projects which um, we will never, I mean, never think of doing, you know. Uh, we put up a musical as well Wow. before. So, okay. um, I mean, we didn't write our own music. You know, we, we came up with a, a, a funny storyline. You know, mm. then after that, um, I, I actually chose music from a variety of places. So, I, I didn't compose my music then, you know. So, right. it's just a medley of, you know, a different scenes will require different kinds of music. So, I'll, I'll just pick and choose and then I'll just string them together. Mm. You know, so that was fun. That was fun. Okay. And then we managed to put up a concert. Mm. Yeah. So, my, my JC, I, I would say my JC band life has impacted uh, me uh, very much. And from then, I, I started to conduct more bands. I became the assistant uh, band uh, instructor, you know, following my conductor. Um, then I learned a lot about rehearsal techniques. I learned more about band instrument and, and then I started writing. <laughs> mm. I started writing my first, um, band arrangement. Actually, my first band arrangements was done when I was in early, I think. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just managed to write something and then the band got to try it out, you know, when I was in secondary school. Then in JC, I think that was when I wrote my first original composition, mm. which was strangely inspired by a bottle of mineral water you know i i think there's something that i don't really share with people right <laughs> uh when when people talk to me about um like how do you first start it you know mm. and i always tell them uh uh the, the mineral water you know again <laughs> it's um yeah so so i'm not too sure whether you are going to be interested in listening to a mineral water story but yeah Go ahead. Come on. I'm just going to share this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very lame, now, okay? I would say. So, it's just a, a random day, you know. I, I'm not too sure whether I was in Singapore or overseas. So, I visited this supermarket and I saw this mineral water with a very nice name. So, to me, uh, the, the title of the music is important to me. Um, or the name of something that I find attractive will be important to me as the, the seed of my composition, you know. So, mm. this brand of mineral water is called Linton Park. <laughs> Okay. It's a very strange name. Um, I mean, I, I don't think we have, have it in Singapore. It's probably an overseas brand. Yeah. Mm. And then I think during the time I was like, oh, this is a very nice name. For some mm. reason, you may you may back to differ, but somehow, right. you know, in my teenage days, I was like, okay, this is this is nice. Mm. So I decided to write something, you know, um, just using this title. Yeah. Um, um and actually my my first uh, music was called Linton Park Overture. Okay. Okay. Um, actually, if you have heard or played before today's Beyond the Highlands, mm-hmm. it's actually from Linton Park Overture. Right. Um, so what happened was, um, 
okay, because during that time, I, I, I'm quite in a way musically adventurous in, in, uh, like uh, submitting works for, for competition for publication that kind of thing. Mm. Later on, maybe I, I can share a little bit more about my mm. publication um, uh, process. Um, right. So, Linter Park Overture was actually submitted uh, as one of the uh, contest uh, piece for the uh, Frank Tikali composition contest. I think that was like more than 10 plus years ago. Okay. So, Frank Tikali has got this series of composition contests uh, which was I, I, yeah, 10 over years ago. Mm. I'm not sure whether it, it is still happening right now. So um, so I just decided to send in this Linton Park Overture into the contest. Okay. And obviously, I didn't get it, okay? Right, <laughs> I didn't right. get... Uh, I didn't win the contest whatsoever. Okay, so, so that contest is quite interesting because they, they have submissions for like grade 1 to 2, grade 3 to 4, that kind of thing, mm. right? So I think I submitted that as a grade 1 to 2 beginning band works kind mm. of thing. Yeah, so I did not um, win the competition. But I, I think that itself is also... Um, I don't know, it's probably a blessing in disguise because that experience got me uh, a publication partnership with CL uh, House, which mm. is my my current publisher, one of my strongest, uh, I mean, oldest publisher, I would yeah. say. Yeah, a huge publisher. Bands. Yeah. It's a huge publisher. Yeah. Mm. So um, I, I didn't stop there when when I received, uh, you know, the, the news that I, I didn't uh, win the Tikali contest, you know. So... What I did was I submitted the same work to Seattle mm. House. Okay. You no, know, um, because I, I mean, I, I did my homework lah. Because I, I know for for certain publishers they look at certain style of music, mm. um, and I think that for this particular Linton Publishers, it it suits that Bunhousey kind of style. You mm. know? So I I submitted to them, and to my surprise, I actually got a positive response from the publisher. Mm. Uh, and of course, one of the things that they comment that they commented on was. Can you please change the title? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, "What? What is this Linton part, right?" So, um, I I changed the title, and I really appreciate them responding. You know, mm. and I've also learned a lot about uh, publication. I learned about um, the scene, you know, itself, like what what is needed in 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 the band scene, not just in Singapore but in, in the states. Mm. Uh, what is good? What needs to go? What can stay in the music? You know, mm. so I I did some truncation. Actually, the Linton Park Overture was about five minutes long. I had to like cut cut it short to about three minute plus, mm. and that that gave rise to Beyond the Highlands. Right. I thought mm. for my first work, I should choose a title that is, uh, very optimistic. I would say, mm. like you know, like so Beyond the Highlands was right. something that I came out with. How cheesy the title may think, but that that is actually my first, original, published music. You mm. know, and. And actually, till till date, um, it is one of my best selling works. Yeah, which sometimes is quite strange to me. Like you know, o- over the many many years, with um, you know so many works being published, um, the the younger works. I mean, you know, mm. as in younger works, my younger days. You know, yeah. works are the ones that um has got more more people buying and performing compared right. to my uh, recent works. So I was like, hmm, did I deproof in my writing no. or something like that? Yeah. You know, like the, the kind of thing so mm-hmm. yeah but 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 i guess you know it's yeah it's it's a it's a, it's a nice experience it's, yeah. it's something that i don't really uh, tell many people yeah mm. so if you're playing beyond the highlands remember that the roots is from a, a bottle of water yeah yeah right who, who knows right you know a, a, a bottle of mineral water can be yeah. a, a source of uh life can also be a source of inspiration as well <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and uh, funny you should mention Beyond the Highlands because I actually taught it recently uh, in, ah. in the recent SYF in, in one of the schools that I was teaching in. Uh, I was um, teaching tuba, not not euphonium because they don't have a euphonium sec 1 or sec 2 oh, student. Okay. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I came across uh, the piece. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So it, interesting to, to always find out about these uh, small little yeah. backstories. Yeah. Mm. And it, it's, it's really interesting, right? And you know, for me especially, you know, playing the playing the euphonium for so many years, it is a single line instrument, and we serve a purpose in a in a wind ensemble and things like that. There, there is bound to be certain challenges, right, when it comes to like writing harmonies, writing like polyphony and, and things like that. Did you struggle with this at all, or was it like when when you were composing, or things just were were you kind of like a a genius 
that no, no. things just kind of resonated <laughs> with you. Sort no, of I, I'm, I'm no genius for sure. <laughs> Um, I, I would say that in my in my uh, younger days when I first started writing, you know, with my very limited vocabulary, um, all all I understand about euphonium trombones and tuba, they they just got to play big fat notes, right? Just hold <laughs> the notes and just play. Um, and of course, it's not not true. I think over the years I've learned uh how to write through various uh, sources, and I would say that um. Uh, listening to music, or in, in this case, listening to various band music, um, is probably the most important to me. Um, that's where I learned the most. That's where I really studied the um, the score, um, how each of the instrument plays their own part. Mm. Um, of course, my I mean, I, I first started having my um like legit compo teacher. Uh, when I was in NIE, I, I, I did my degree in NIE and I was very glad and so fortunate to have Dr. Kelly Tang with me mm. uh, in my four years of uh, my composition studies. And and I, I really love uh, lessons with Dr. Tang. Uh, super, super, super nice guy. Um, you know, he, he never says anything that is nasty or... <laughs> or bad to you which i i don't know i i, I feel that i i feel quite bad about it like you know i it's like i know it's bad or it's not good enough right but he will somehow make it um uh like a, a wonderful learning opportunity for me you know that kind of thing okay and it's always so nice you know and mm. and it's nurturing nice to, in a way right? it's, it's very nurturing yeah. and and i love hearing him speak about music um he will always relate music to food he will relate mm. composition writing to food. Uh, of course, I think he's a foodie, and I'm also a foodie. You know, yeah. and and it's and in our it's DNA, always, right? So, it's in our DNA. Yeah. 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 So I, I still remember um him telling me uh, once that you know when you write, um, every instrument uh, is, is a melody, right? Um, and I strongly believe in this. Um, he himself is a, a, a tuba player. Mm. Um, and if you have studied his score, um. And, and by the way, in, even till today, I, I still bring up his scores um, to show my students uh, to study um, how colourful his orchestration is. I, I think Dr. Ten has got one of the most uh, colourful writing. You know, mm. uh, It's always so refreshing uh, to hear his works, right? Uh, you never know what's going to happen next. I think that's the beauty of uh, composition. Mm. If everything is so predictable, um, I, I think it, it de- definitely... There's a lot to improve. I even till today, right. even for my own works, right? Mm. I'll be like, okay, this is not good enough. I think it's very predictable. I mean, I, yeah, to some mm, extent, right. I, I wouldn't say my my works are, are fantastic. I mean, to be very honest, you know, mm. um, yeah. So every line is a melody. Um, till till this day, I, I still remember them, and and this is what I tell my student as well. And I think if you have this in mind, um, your writing can be a lot more interesting. You will not just give the tuba a a long held notes all the way, mm. right? You wouldn't give the euphonium. And I, I think for euphonium, um, it's one of the most uh, beautiful instruments, I would say, in, in the band. Uh, it's not just uh, bass line. I, I thought only I thought that way, but yeah, thanks, no, no. thanks for saying yeah. that. <laughs> I, I, I love the euphonium writing. I mean, yeah. um, after studying so so many scores, right, you, you do understand that there are certain instruments with um, certain roles that mm. they are quite prominent in. Yeah. Uh, euphonium, the horn, um, they, they, they are a lot of... Um, they have a lot of counter-melodic roles, right? Mm. Um, and, and the reason why they, they are used so often in counter-melody because of the the rich timbre, the, the beautiful timbre mm. right, that, that they have and the range, I would say. Mm. So uh, again, I'm not putting down any of the instruments in the band or the orchestra. Um, just that I, I think every single instrument, um, they have specific roles. They, they have important roles to play so that the entire work is, is really beautiful to listen to, right? Mm. So all instruments are important. Um, mm. uh, and, and tuba, sometimes people have this misconception about tuba, like, you know, you're just going to play long notes and nothing else. Clumsy, late. Yeah. But yeah. I always tell my student, actually, one of the most important instruments that that I, I will look up for in a recruitment exercise mm. is the tuba. Okay. The, the tuba is like the root of the tree. You know, we, without the tuba, the whole thing will just collapse. So mm. this is how tu- important tuba is, mm. you know. Um, yeah, so uh, euphonium, uh, French horn, they, they, I mean, they, they have beautiful roles in there. So as long as you, even, even for tuba, right, how you write the bass line is important. Is it just uh, holding on to long notes or can you create some kind of a line that weaves across these long notes mm. in a way, right? So you, you function as a support, as the, the roots of the band um, and at the same time, create something interesting for the tubist to, to be playing to. Mm. You know, um, yeah. I think if you're able to achieve that, 
um, uh, in, in your music, um, that, that would be a, a very good piece of work, you know, mm. and, and also you, uh, one thing about composition also is, is playing around with human psychology. And this is again, what Dr. Tang uh, talked about, you know, mm. uh, quite a bit, like uh, what is expected in the next bar, right? Do you want to play around with the expectation? Do you, do you want to give it to the listener or do you want to hold it back and, and hang a carrot? in front mm. of the listener you know it, it depends on what you really want to achieve yeah you know um sometimes doing too much is no good mm. right uh so he talks about less is more mm. uh, he talks about reuse reduce recycle not in the garbage context but musical materials mm. uh, and and these are phrases that has been stuck with me for for a while and, yeah. and these are things that i will tell my students you know um and and it is a problem for young uh, composers to be to be throwing in a lot of ideas in one work Mm. ultimately they will come up yeah i mean the result a bit disjointed right yeah disjointed and if i may use a bit trashy at times you know, okay in, in a very harsher tone trashy, right but yeah so but, but you know what i mean you know mm. so sometimes just use one one material mm. um and how you develop the material is a skill by itself yeah right absolutely. And I think people will appreciate that more mm. and it helps to sort of bring in coherence you know within the music which is one of the beauty about good writing yeah yeah so mm. um yeah so all, all this has affected my my writing, you know, mm. uh, so far. Mm. Right. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time.